This episode of Talking Home Renovations is sponsored by BQE, the makers of BQE Core. BQE Core is a software that makes it easy to manage your project and people for maximum productivity and ultimate profitability. Welcome to Season 4 of Talking Home Renovations with the House Maven. I am Catherine McPhail, your host. I'm an architect practicing in Eastern Massachusetts. In past seasons, we've covered all sorts of subjects with the intention of helping homeowners who may never have been involved in a renovation before and they felt like they needed to know what they were doing. We've built up over 100 episodes on everything from roofing to foundations, heard many renovation stories, and learned how to hire various professionals. This season, we'll be focusing even more on the challenges of renovating old houses while incorporating new technologies, using my own new house as a case study. We'll have all sorts of different guests, most having to do with what I'm just calling the next level of renovations. Now that you've got these 100 plus episodes under your belt, I think you're ready. In this episode, we're talking about what can be done to make your home healthier. My guest, Tim Swackhammer, is a founder and CEO of Mold Medics and Mold Medics Franchising. Mold Medics is dedicated to helping people improve the environmental quality of their homes through mold remediation, air duct cleaning, radon mitigation, and other environmental services. Tim also works with functional medicine patients to enable them to breathe easier in their home or work environments. And he says that breathing without issues is everyone's goal, and many homes are not actually healthy homes. But how can you improve the quality of your home during or after a renovation? What can you do during a renovation to result in a, in a more healthy home in the end? So we discuss all of this and more, and here's our conversation. Well, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yesterday, I sold my house. I'm still in it, but yesterday I sold my house, and I opened all the windows for the walkthrough because it was a nice day. And one of the people buying the house said, are they just trying to mask a mold problem? Mm-hmm. Which I thought it was just nice. I like to smell my garden, and I don't have air conditioning, and just getting fresh air in the house, right? But made me wonder, and since I was talking to you today, what would be the smell of a mold problem? Is it, and can you just mask it by opening your windows? So, I mean, typically, whenever we talk about a, a noticeable uh, smell from mold, it's going to be that typical musty odor that you're familiar with if you've ever been, especially like uh, old churches, old schools, uh, basements of those types of buildings. You can generally smell that, that general must. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily going to indicate a mold issue specifically, but it's going to indicate long-term moisture and humidity problems uh, that would create a situation where mold could be an issue for sure. Right, right. Because mold likes water and food. Yep, yep. Basically, so mold, that's what you need. Mold needs water. It needs air. It needs food to grow. And unfortunately, the air we have to have as well to live Uh, And the food that it lives off of is any dead plant material, which makes up the vast majority of the building materials in our home. So uh, you just add water into the wrong place and you can start having a mold issue. Mm -hmm. There are different types of mold, right? Obviously, Mm -hmm. there's the dreaded black mold. How do you know that? Is there, does black mold smell different than um, white mold or whatever other kinds? So with black mold or stachybotrys, which is generally the toxic mold, although all molds have the capacity to be toxic in some way or another uh, and to varying degrees. Uh, That's definitely the one that gets the most publicity and has some of the most serious uh, health implications. It doesn't really have a specific smell. Uh, The biggest way to notice it is uh, knowing where it grows. So 
that grows over a long period of time over sus with sustained water intrusion. So that's not going to be the type of mold growth that we would associate with like a uh, problem managing the indoor humidity. That's going to be there was some sort of flooding. There was some leak that went unnoticed and untreated for a pretty long period of time before we're going to start to see it. Uh, and it generally is going to have a dark coloration to it. Uh, it'll look sort of a blackish, dark blue, dark green. Hmm. So it doesn't smell any different than the regular mustiness of your basement. Yeah, you're not, you're, I mean, at least my nose is not uh, <laughs> anywhere near specific enough to be able to pick that up in terms of a difference. But visually, you can generally tell. And then looking at the conditions, it's going to help mm -hmm. give you a good indication of what you're looking at. Yeah, sure. Because obviously, black or dark is different than. What else would it be? White or like kind of light, uh, light green? Yeah. So one of one of the ones that we see very commonly um, is in the Aspergillus penicillium family of mold. Uh, also something that people can have pretty strong allergic reactions to. Uh, it's a much more common mold, but it is more commonly associated with humidity-based issues. So if the indoor humidity in your environment isn't maintained properly, uh, something that we see a lot of times is people will go away for a couple weeks in the summer. And they'll just leave their house completely locked up. They won't turn the air conditioning on because they want to save money and they won't have any air movement because nobody's in the home. And mm -hmm. the humidity just rises and rises and rises with all the summer storms and everything. Uh, and that begins to collect on the walls. And then we can end up with, uh, it can be hard to see at times, but basically a white almost looks like a powdery type of growth. Um, mm. That's pretty common um, and can be very problematic because again, can cause some health issues. So what do you do if you don't have air conditioning and you're going away for a couple of weeks? Just air, air movement is going to be your best, your best bet. Um, some fans, leave some fans on low and different fans, dehumidifiers, um, depending yeah. on where you are. I mean, pretty much anywhere in the States, summer, especially you're going to going to want to have some form of dehumidification. Mm -hmm. If you have air conditioning, air conditioning does perform some level of dehumidification, but a standalone dehumidifier can always be added to help mitigate that even further. Let's talk about air conditioning for a second because I don't know anything. Uh, I don't have any personal experience with it in my own homes because I've always just opened my windows. Yep. But I am considering putting air conditioning in this new place where I'm going. And I don't know anything about the air duct cleaning or what I should be looking for or avoiding or best practices. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first, if you're talking about retrofitting an old home, is there like forced air? No, uh, it's a, yeah, it's just a radiate, like a forced hot water system right okay. now. In that case, generally, uh, most HVAC contractors are going to recommend um, ductless mini split systems at this yeah, point. Yeah, no, but I'm not going for that. Uh, gotcha. Uh, just because adding a forced air system can be tricky in some old homes, you may just not be able to, depending on how much yeah, ducting you'd have to add and all that. Yeah, this um, whole thing is kind of tricky, but the thing is, I don't want, I don't like the wall cassettes and I don't like yeah. the pipes on the outside of the house. Sure. Because yeah, I'm a difficult architect, you know, so. <laughs> yep. So I'm making my yep. life harder for myself. But let's just say I got some air. And also high velocity, is that better than um, traditional or whatever you would call that? Those uh, to be honest, we, don't, we haven't seen much in the way of high velocity systems. Um, they just, we haven't seen. I mean, we see more, uh, your common like high efficiency units, uh, all of that. Generally, the biggest thing with those systems from an air quality perspective, uh, especially if you're talking an older home, uh, mm -hmm. one of the biggest issues that we've seen is they'll use 
basically joists in the basement as the air returns. Mm. So you have your returns that collect basically the stale air in the home. It goes through your furnace where it either gets heated or cooled, uh, and then it gets forced out through the supplies in the rest of the home. And unfortunately, something that we see a lot is in older homes, they'll have basically just used either a cardboard or like a ductboard type uh, minorly insulated material. And they'll just basically slap that onto the bottom of a joist and use that wow. bay as the air return. Yes. That's not, that's not right. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Because through that, you have all of the penetrations for all the electrical and everything. So you've got uh, massive mm. leakage issues. You're mm. sucking in all kinds of dust. And uh, that can really create problems because now you're basically taking a uh, unfiltered wall cavity and you're yeah. filtering all the air in your home through that. And then which, you're, yeah. That's just doesn't, even I would think that wasn't right. And I, I, you know, I don't install those systems, but yeah. Okay. So what about air duct cleaning and how often should people do that? Should, should everybody try not to install new air ducts? Is that what you're kind of saying that it's better, a ductless system would be better for our health? Not necessarily. Ductless, they just tend to be a lot easier whenever it comes to a retrofit system. Mm -hmm. um, the things that we do generally recommend from an indoor air quality perspective, as much as you can avoid flex duct, avoid it. Uh, it okay. can't be cleaned well. Now, flex duct is that ribbed stuff, right? Is there yeah, ribbed stuff yeah. that could go around? Okay. Ribbed accordion style, typically it's wrapped in an insulation. Um, mm -hmm. The problem with it is it can't be cleaned very well, if at all, depending on the age and everything of it. Uh, it's a very thin material, so it punctures fairly easily. And because of the the nature of it, the accordion style, it's got all kinds of grooves and everything where you can get a lot of different dust and everything trapped in it, which is just really not ideal. So mm. if you can have all hard metal ducts, that's definitely preferred. Okay. And when you say everything, like what else gets stuck in there? Like gross <laughs> stuff? You know, like you see all those pictures of, uh, you know, what's growing in your kitchen and magnified thousands mm -hmm. of times and they're horrifying. Are there other horrifying things living in air ducts? So it's everything that could be in the air in your home can make mm. its way and does make its way into your ducts. Um, and that includes pet dander. That includes obviously human skin and other. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I hate thinking about that. All kinds of really gross stuff. And the, the bigger issue there too, uh, again, you add some moisture into it and mold won't grow on metal itself. It's a non-porous material that's not organic. So it's not a food source for it. Mm -hmm. Where mold can grow is on the layer of dust and everything that can accumulate on that. Yeah, that gets stuck in the ribs of the... Of yep, yep. So uh, so you can introduce a lot of those and you can create just generally a situation that's not good for indoor air quality. Same thing if you have any sort of like outdoor allergens. In your case, you open the windows a lot. Now you're letting pollen and everything in, which generally outdoor air is better than the indoor air that we have. But if you've got outdoor allergies, that can be problematic in and of itself. And now you're trapping that in your ductwork year-round. Oh, man, what do we do? Stay inside with a filter on our, <laughs> on our air. So uh, generally, I mean, if you don't have outdoor allergies, windows open, as much air, as much additional air filtration as you can get um, is going to be your best bet. Regardless of what indoor environmental pollutant we're talking about, whether it be possible health risk, whether it be mold, it's radon, it's uh, asbestos fibers, anything like that. Adding more air from the outside and allowing those particles to be diluted and those concentrations to be diluted with fresh air from the exterior, it's always going to be a really good choice. Uh, whenever you get into an old home, 
it gets to be really tough because it is very situational, just depending on exactly what's already going on with the home, what are the current situation, or what's the current status of the HVAC system, the level of air sealing that's going on in the home. Uh, thankfully, this is something that throughout time we've gotten better with. And as we get into more modern homes, always we don't know what we don't know until we find out later mm -hmm. that we didn't know it. And yeah. what we saw in basically the late 90s into early 2000s uh, of home construction, we were building them really, really tight. And there were some different practices going on across the country that were not always the best choices we now know. Um, things like putting vapor barriers inside walls. Uh, depending on the climate that you're in, it could be a great idea, it could be a terrible idea, or it should be on the inside of the wall or on the outside of the wall, like uh, right. depending on what space and everything. So there were some really not so great decisions on that part. But through that, we've learned more about getting homes sealed up tight, but then making sure that we are ventilating them properly. So there's right. a lot of new uh, advanced systems like uh, heat recovery ventilators or energy recovery ventilators that take in fresh air from the outside and exhaust basically the stale air from the inside. Uh, and what's great about these devices is they basically use, depending on whether it's a heat or an energy recovery ventilator, they use the indoor air that it's exhausting to condition the temperature and or humidity of the air that it's bringing in. So if you think about like in hmm. the winter, if you just open your window and it's 70 degrees inside your house and 20 degrees on the outside, that's going to get very cold very quickly and very expensive for you to try to continue to heat that. Uh, so with a heat recovery ventilator, it's going to use that hot air that you're pushing out to heat the fresh air that it's bringing in. So you're still getting that fresh air from the outside, but you're controlling it so you're not just flushing money down the drain and trying to heat the exterior, basically. Interesting. So is that included with all modern systems? Or do you have to, is that uh, an option? An it's an option. It's getting, it depends on where you are in the country. Some places they are code at this point. Um, some, some places it depends on the size. Uh, in some places, if you talk to an HVAC contractor and ask them about an HRV or an ERV, they may look at you like you have a few few extra heads because right. never really seen them. Yeah. Okay. So what do you do if should people insist on getting them or find someone who knows what they are and will install them? Do you recommend them, I guess, is what I'm, so, what I'm saying. In general, yes, absolutely. I think that yeah. um, especially in newer homes where they are built tighter. Uh, it's yeah. a really, really good idea. It's also a great idea, uh, just like in HRV or an ERV, uh, making sure that you have your humidity controlled. Again, it's going to come down regionally as to what all that involves. Uh, I'm in Pennsylvania, so we have a definitive heating season over the winter, and we have a definitive cooling season over the summer. And it seems like that time in between where we can have our windows open is getting shorter and shorter. I think we've had, had it for like three weeks this entire spring. Uh, yeah. Before it went from super cold to upwards of 80 degrees every day. And uh, mm -hmm. so I actually in my house have both a whole home dehumidifier uh, that primarily gets run over the summer. And I have a whole home humidifier that primarily gets run over the winter whenever we're heating. Yeah. All right. So your company, Mold Medics, are you you're kind of concentrating on healthy homes for people or tell me a little yeah, bit so about what? your mission is? Yeah. So our mission is to improve the indoor environments for the communities that we serve. So we try to do that in as many ways as we can. Obviously, mold is our 
core competency. It's our focus. It's where we started, but that's not the only thing that we do. So we do mold. We also do air duct cleaning because that is a uh, vital step and really goes hand in hand with a lot of the mold remediation projects that we do. Because if there's a mold problem somewhere in the home, if you've got an air return there, potentially you can be sucking spores and everything through and distributing them through the home. So air duct cleaning is an important component. And then most recently we added on radon mitigation because that's something that is a thing that people need to be more concerned about. The government's done a variety of different pushes to help get people more aware of it. And generally most people are only aware of it whenever that are buying or selling a home and it mm -hmm. happens to come up. Otherwise they tend to forget that it exists. Well, I worked, I worked for two years in the basement during that pandemic. So I thought about it all the time. Yep. Did you ever Didn't. have your home tested or? We did in the end. Yes. I mean, in the end, meaning, you know, I felt like, well, it's too late now. And I don't really want to know that uh, I've been living in this, but just like my non, you know, it's not a very mature way of thinking. But anyway, so my, when my when my son moved down there, we finally we finally did test it over one of the slow, like a three month sort of test. Okay. Yeah, and we didn't yep. have any. We have very negligible amounts. So good. good. So good. Thumbs up for that. But um, it, this new place, I think I should check it right away. I would agree. So. Yeah. And that's uh, there's a lot of really common misconceptions about molds or about radon uh, and mold. But uh, radon specifically, some that I even had prior to really learning about it and studying it. One of the most common ones that we see is this idea that, oh, well, my neighbor tested for radon and they didn't have any, so I mm -hmm. probably won't either. And it's probably not an issue. Um, so we were curious about this and did a study literally on my street where we uh, tested six homes uh, all basically in a row. There was a two home gap in the middle, but uh, we did mine. We did the one right next. We did both sides of me. We did across the street next to them and then across the street from them. And the EPA action level for radon, where they recommend that you have a mitigation system put in, is four picocuries per liter, which is uh, how you measure radon uh, gas. And what we found was of those homes, the even ones that were right next to each other could vary huge. Uh, I mean, we're talking from one of them was 3.6 uh, up to one of them was 17. Whoa, and that is a giant difference. All yeah, very all very very close, all very similarly sized homes built within a few years of one another. It's a, a planned development, so they were all built very hmm. close by the same builder on basically the same big plot of land. Wow! And what a great variants. experiment! You had so many things in common that that was that's like more meaningful than like my neighborhood, where it was built at all different times. For example, so yep. that's good that you and did it. And it's, it's neat because there's a variety of different factors that can go into the radon levels in your home. But at the end of the day, the biggest one is simply the geology underneath your home, which you don't really have any idea mm. until you test how much that's yeah. contributing to a radon issue. So uh, testing is really, really important. And, and like in your situation, it's really good to do it whenever you're first getting in there, because with any environmental issue, whether that be uh, radon, mold, asbestos, anything like that. The concern generally is not an acute exposure. It's not just a individual or it's not a situation where uh, if you get exposed to it once, it's going to cause long term problems. The concern is exposure over a long period of time. So that chronic exposure where, yeah, you have elevated radon levels and you're in that basement every single day, eight hours a day over 20 years. That's where it can really start to 
cause some big issues. Okay. So it would have taken 20 years. Well, that's good. Uh, I was only there two years, but 16 hours a day, two years, that's still a lot of hours. It is. It is. And it, it depends on the levels and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. too, it, was it turned out I didn't have a problem. But I was thinking like how big yeah. is like how much time do I have left if I do have a brain tumor and everything. But I, I tend to go down those sorts of roads. Um, <laughs> it's sort of like uh, if you're familiar, familiar with hearing loss, no amount is good. And the more that you can mitigate, the better. Because hmm. it all is just cumulative over time. Interesting. You, d- you deal with kind of healthy home issues also. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Like what is... How can somebody make their home as healthy as possible? So the biggest thing right out of the gate, and it sounds basic, but it's cleanliness. So keeping the home clean, keeping it tidy. And that comes down to not just you're avoiding dirt and making sure that all that's cleaned and there's not dust everywhere, but also clutter. So one of the really common issues that we see is people will have an issue that will go undetected for a long period of time because there's just so much clutter like in a basement or uh, in a bedroom that they don't get, doesn't necessarily get used a ton. They'll just have a lot of stuff in there and that impedes airflow, which can contribute to a mold issue. It eliminates your ability to detect it because obviously you're not going and sifting to the back of that on a daily basis. So you can't really identify that there's problems there. In a lot of cases, the things that we're storing, like storing things in cardboard boxes, uh, cardboard soaks up moisture and is a great food source for mold. And unfortunately, yeah. a lot of times you go into people's basements and they have oh, massive sure. piles of cardboard boxes lining the walls of the exterior, which now we've got exterior moisture issues that if we didn't have those boxes blocking the airflow, could have dried pretty easily. But now mm. it's just going up against that cardboard, wicking up, and now it's causing a problem on both the wall and the cardboard, and we've got a big issue. So, so okay. So when people are actually planning changes to their homes, adding some kind of storage away from the exterior walls in the basement or even in the rest of the house where they wouldn't be as in such a moist environment, that might yep. be a good idea to keep that in mind and storing your stuff. And Yeah, making sure. I mean, even your basic Lowe's storage shelves with just the, the plastic storage bins are a great, op- or a great alternative because they almost always leave an air gap at the bottom. They leave some gaps along the back. So you have areas where air can move to help dry if there is a moisture issue. Mm. Uh, that should come in. Probably the the biggest one from an actual water intrusion uh, issue that we see is the gutters, the downspouts, and the grating around the home. Right. So any area, especially if you have basements, uh, but it doesn't really matter, basements, crawl spaces, Slabs to a slightly lesser degree, but they can still be problematic depending on where you are. But if you don't have your, so if your gutters are not working properly, they're not, uh, they're hanging off just because they weren't cleaned or they got broken in a storm, something along those lines, and you have water pouring off, it's going to sheet down the home and then accumulate at that foundation. Same thing with downspouts. Uh, A lot of times we'll see they'll have downspouts that are intact, uh, but then where they should be connecting into either a drain that goes out to the bottom or at least one of those big corrugated plastic elbows that kicks it out away from the foundation, mm-hmm. it instead just drops it all right in one corner, which yeah, at that point- Yeah, I see that a lot. You'd be better off having no gutters and downspouts whatsoever, and it's just sheeting off kind of evenly across the house rather than collecting it and all pulling the, it yeah. all in one spot. Because uh, what happens is that that just collects, it migrates down, and then it, eventually it starts to permeate in through the basement or the crawl space uh, and cause some significant issues indoors. 
Um, mm. And then finally, along those same lines, uh, the grading of the earth around the home. So ideally, what we should see is the dirt, the mulch, all that kind of stuff that's around it, sloped evenly away from the foundation. So that whenever you have rain that comes and it hits the side of the home, it runs down and then it washes away. But a lot of times it, it's kind of a maintenance item because over time it pushes and just sort of continues to chew out and go down against the foundation, which can cause mm -hmm. pretty significant issues, again, over time. And now a word from our sponsor. Systems and standard operating procedures. You already know that's how to build a profitable business and find the freedom you want. You need systems and procedures. But you struggle with choosing which systems you need most and how to implement those systems quickly so you can get back to doing what you love most. The Designing Your Business Masterclass series was created by acclaimed architect and business consultant Douglas Teeger, FAIA, to help fellow architects and engineers run their firms more profitably while maintaining a healthy work-life balance. Douglas grew from a solo practitioner to become managing partner of his 30-plus person firm and then later sold his firm so he can do what he does today, helping architects be more successful at Teeger Consulting. On the third Wednesday of every month, Douglas dives deep into an essential topic that will strengthen the profitability of your firm and make it sustainable for growth in the years to come. Register now for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass with Douglas Teeger at bqe.com masterclass and start implementing powerful systems for the profitability you need and the freedom you want. Every live masterclass session includes AIA continuing education credit. And when you visit bqe.com masterclass, you'll have access to the full library of past sessions on demand. The Designing Your Business Masterclass is free and is brought to you by our friends at BQE, the makers of BQE Core, the software that makes it easy to manage your projects and people for maximum productivity and ultimate profitability. Register now for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass at bqe.com masterclass. That's bqe.com masterclass. Now back to our conversation. Yeah, and I've heard too that the uh, the backfill when you have a new addition or something like that, it seems like it's graded well, but then it, it depresses over time because it you know the soil gets to the air comes out of it and it gets kind of compressed like regular soil, and then then you have problems there. Yep. So yeah, I mean if you if you've ever added a concrete patio or anything like that, you'll see that pretty much immediately. Where uh, after about a year or so, you'll see that what was completely covered by dirt now you can see the bottom of the concrete form sticking out a bit and you got to go in and backfill it properly. But. Yeah. So, okay. So we talked about water management being important so that we don't give the mold the water they need. Yep. They need, is it like it a plural? Needs. <laughs> it needs, it is being like one big entity. It, um, generally. Yeah. <laughs> it needs. Yeah. Okay. The mold, the mold, uh, I guess if I said mold spores, then that would be. There big. you go. Keeping the water out of the house is important through the, Managing the rainwater, the grade, um, storage against things like concrete that naturally do kind of get wet and get yep. dry, you know, so keeping away from that. Measuring for radon, cleaning your, your, how do they clean the air ducts in, I mean, some of them are really long. Do they have, like, this is a really stupid question, okay, but I've never lived sure. in a place with, so do they take a big brush or something they actually put through? Do they blow air through it really fast? Or how does that work? Great question. So uh, there's a variety of different techniques. Generally, what's recommended and what we use, uh, we use a negative air machine. So basically a giant vacuum that gets hooked up to the ductwork. Uh, generally, it's going to be down by the furnace. And we then go through and seal off all of the actual vents. So we seal them off at the vent. Uh, and then we use a truck-mounted air compressor with 
specialized duct cleaning air tools. So there's a variety of different ones for each situation. Most of them though are basically it's a little silver ball with a like an eight prong rubber whip that come or rubber whips. So it looks like an octopus and it hmm. just shoots very uh, high pressure, 150, 175 PSI out of that. And what that does is the whips then just flail all over the place and that agitates all of the dirt and dust that's in the ducts. And you push that down towards the vacuum. So there's a variety of different rods and lines that get used to oh. extend that down. So you start at each register and just basically push it down. And then where you can access it gets pulled back through. So, cause they have ones that go in reverse. So instead of it shooting out the front, it shoots out the back of it. And you just basically use that to agitate all of the dust throughout the ductwork and then push it and pull it into the vacuum. That you and then set. eventually it comes out with all the dust it's collected in there. Yep, yep. That all gets sucked up either into if it's a, a portable unit uh, into the collector within the unit or a truck mount unit goes out into the truck. Does that get kind of gross sometimes? Have you ever seen anything that's like so disgusting? Uh, yes, unfortunately. I mean, there's, I don't know how much you want to get get into it, but uh, there have Let's been get some. get into it. There there have been some, a variety of different animals uh, or animal remains. Ooh. Oh. That have been found. Um, like pets? Pets or uh, like rodents? Most, mostly rodents. Uh, mice, squirrels, that kind of thing. Um, oh, so meanwhile, yeah. obviously a squirrel had been living in somebody's um, ventilation system. Somewhere, yeah. Yep. And then it, it died there. And typically whenever those ones come up, we're no, we get called out because they're noticing a specific odor coming from uh, yes, somewhere in Yes, I know that home. specific odor. Yes. Yes. Like when the mice die under the whatever. Yeah. More, yeah. well, more commonly, what we see is a lot of uh, <laughs> lots of children's toys, lots of dog toys, and just especially like I have a long-coated German Shepherd, uh, mm. so mine gets cleaned more regularly than most. And sure enough, whenever we do either the floor registers or the returns, there's just a mountain of hair and dander. Yeah, uh, yeah I can imagine. Yeah, it, it it gets sucked up very very easily. And, yeah. Uh, so how often, often do you have to do it? Uh, so I do mine annually. Um, okay. Generally, if you have especially high shedding pets like that, we recommend annually to every two years. Um, typically, what we do, though, is if we are coming out, especially if we know the ducts have been cleaned uh, more recently, we'll do a full visual inspection first and just make sure that it actually needs done before we go ahead and start doing it. But um, okay. the other time we would definitely recommend it be done is after any major uh, home renovation. Oh, for so, sure. Yeah. Yep. That's a good, that's a good reminder. Especially if you're doing any sort of drywall work, anytime that there's cutting involved that's going on in the house that creates all kinds of dust and a lot of stuff that you really don't want to be breathing in and want to mitigate its time in your home. Mm -hmm. So can you get that out of the ducts or is there a way that they can seal off? I mean, I imagine they probably try to cover over the returns when they're working. That would be something that comes down to the contractor that you're utilizing mm. and how much of that they do. Um, should it be done? Yes. Does it get done by some, not by most? Um, mm. And to what level it gets done also varies pretty greatly. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, ideally, if you're, especially if you're living in the home and it's a home that's, or it's a home that's occupied during the renovation, there should be dust management in place. So it should have the registers completely sealed off. Uh, there should be plastic containment set up, uh, zip walls if needed, entry points, that kind of thing to make sure, and ideally air scrubbers as well, 
uh, which are the same tools that we would use in uh, mitigation uh, or remediation projects, that should be in place, but most of the time it's not. Hmm. So I have a yellow lab and he lets go of his fur or all the time. Yep. So would it be a healthier house for me to just have radiate, keep the radiators? Because right now I'm trying to decide if I do want to go with this air system or keep the hot water system. And then do I finally get air conditioning or do I continue to not have air conditioning? But um, would it be healthier not to have it in, in situations like that where I also have two cats who are long haired cats? So and it seems like that's all definitely going to get, it gets everywhere. It's like even after a week, it's like tumbleweeds around yep. here. Yep. Um, I mean, so, it's definitely going to create a situation where they can, where it can gather. Uh, and that being that you're in a situation where you would be the one putting in the system, you can have more say in the design of it uh, and make some different choices. For instance, I would not recommend floor registers. Those would not mm. be as good of a choice because they're naturally going to accumulate a lot more of that. Uh, than if you get them further up off the ground. Same thing with your returns. Um, typically, returns are done at along the floor. So they're generally not necessarily on the floor, but they're at like knee height. Um, mm -hmm. That's a preferred practice, but it's not a necessity. You can absolutely put them up off the ground, and that would probably be a better choice. It doesn't seem like a forced air system is going to work with this house. It's like a yep. 1794 house. Yep. And who knows what the actual walls are like in terms of like, you know, now we would imagine there's studs that are a certain distance apart and who even knows? Yeah, your your cavities are probably going to be pretty narrow. They're, I mean, almost exclusively two by four construction. Yeah. And yeah, it's going to be retrofitted. Doing an HVAC retrofit on a house like that can definitely be challenging, especially if you want to try to reach it through the entire house. And then with just the health, well, I'm just a little bit now, I'm a little bit concerned about all of the pet hair and dander in mm -hmm. my air system. So I wouldn't be overly concerned with it. Again, basic house cleaning uh, and routine house cleaning can mitigate that mm -hmm. pretty significantly. Um, but it mm -hmm. does add up and adding a semi-routine every other year duct cleaning, especially on a house like that, it's probably not going to be a terribly huge system. Wouldn't be a, a gigantic expense. Okay. Thank you. I feel a little better now. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't be over. I wouldn't not do it for that reason. OK, yeah. well, I got a little sidetracked from my original question from about sure. 10 minutes ago, which was, OK, so you manage the water. Yep. You test for radon and then you do a mitigation system for that if you need it and cleaning your air ducts. What else can people do to uh, make their house healthier? Yeah. So one of the big things is uh, going back to the mitigating the water when you're talking about renovation specifically making sure that you're approaching it with the thought of water control in mind. Because that's something that we see a ton of is people will do additions um, or they'll do renovations and they won't really be thinking about, okay, where, if there is water coming in, where is it going to go? If there is a humidity issue, how are we managing that? Or if we have, where can we have air leakage or air gaps that can contribute to issues with the indoor environment. So common problem would be like, especially again with an older home, uh, insulation standards from back then were pretty poor. And if we don't approach and manage the insulation issue whenever we go to renovate and we're putting up more modern construction materials that uh, while they're better in a lot of ways, especially costing a lot, uh, they are more sensitive to moisture than the materials that we used 100, 150 years ago. I mean, if we look at basically any of the manufactured building products, whether it be 
your plywood, MDF, uh, drywall, all of that is going to be much more moisture sensitive than the old lath and plaster systems that we used for wall systems and the old strict two by four frame construction. Just a lot of that older lumber is denser. It's more resistant uh, to a lot of these problems. So you go and you put all of these modern building materials in that older environment, you can start to create issues pretty quickly. Yeah, I'm a little worried about that, actually. We're just going to leave that there. It is something to think about. And it's something that you want. Um, a lot of that comes down to who you're choosing. If you're using a contractor or if you're doing it yourself, just making sure that they're educated on those issues and at least considering them throughout the building process. Right. Yeah. Most Keep of the issues mind. that uh, that come up are done out of sheer ignorance and stuff people never even really considered whenever they were building or designing what was going on. Yeah. Yeah. Because the wall has been breathing in a certain way for 200 years. And then you add in different materials that change the dynamics in there. So yep. think about that. I would also really, uh, again, going back to the containment and dust control during any sort of rest or any sort of a renovation or restoration project that you're doing, especially if you're in an old home, a lot of the building materials that we used back then uh, can be very hazardous right now. I mean, yeah, the, oh, that is true. The lead based paint, asbestos yep. in pretty much everything. I mean, it was in the true. Pla a lot of plaster mud compounds, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. So just being really careful um, and yeah, setting up containment. In some cases, that could be something that the homeowner can educate themselves on fairly easily and set up mm -hmm. if the contractor isn't doing that, or they can hire a company that can come in and do that for them. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of times uh, people try to live through their renovations and I would really prefer they didn't try to. It just seems like there's so many potential toxins in the air, especially with, I mean, I guess we always say, especially with kids, but I mean, what about all of us with our brains? Mm -hmm. Yeah, with, with kids in particular, uh, lead-based lead paint is definitely the biggest concern yeah. there. Because um, that's one that most most environmental issues tend to have a pretty age agnostic harm. Um, some people are more sensitive to mold than others is 100% the case, but it doesn't tend to be that kids are more sensitive than grownups. Uh, but lead is lead exposure is one of those things that kids in particular are extremely sensitive and can be very, very much harmed by. Uh, yeah. And as you get into older ranges, it's just not as much of a concern. Mm -hmm. It's not great, though. No, no, it's not. like memory issues and things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, whenever lead comes up on the show or in my life, I, I usually say people say, well, we grew up with lead and we're fine. Like maybe we're not fine though. Maybe we could be a lot better. And, and, uh, and it, it gets to kind of a dark place, but a lot of the ones who grew up with lead and weren't fine from it, uh, mm -hmm. they're not around to tell their stories. They are not. They're not. Yeah, it's just not good. It's just not good. Yeah. So your company, you have, mm -hmm. um, you're not actually a national company, but you have franchises all over or yeah, how so, do people get in touch with someone from like your type of company? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we started franchising in 2021. Uh, so we have our Pittsburgh office and then we have one franchisee that signed on with us uh, last year and is coming on, coming up on a year in operation uh, here in about another month or so. Um, and we're looking to continue to grow our footprint through franchising because uh, we specialize in issues or in solutions for people that have sensitivities to mold, 
and other issues that other contractors, even in the restoration space, really aren't looking at or aren't focused on. Uh, so we recognize that there's there's a need for a lot of these people that isn't being met. And we thought franchising was definitely the best way to be able to meet that, to be able to spread our footprint and be able to help more people in more different areas. So uh, mm -hmm. that's been a huge, huge thing for us. But uh, if you want to get in touch with us, it's just moldmedics.com uh, or for franchising, it's moldmedicsfranchising.com. And otherwise, if you're looking just in general, your standard Google search is generally going to be your best friend. And the biggest thing that's uh, going to help you is how you're properly vetting the contractor that you're talking to. Yeah. What concerns are they bringing up? What issues are they identifying? Uh, and how seriously are they taking your concerns? Mm. Yeah, I have a client who is very sensitive. And so it's kind of hard to know what questions to ask to the contractors. You know, what it would be good to have a checklist to say, do you do this and this and this? That'll keep me. She won't be around during the actual construction, but um, I don't think that I would like to be able to plan to make sure that she doesn't have any issues after. <laughs> and there's like low VOC paint or no VOC paint. And question about formaldehyde and woods. It seems like there's no wood that's actually has no thing that's in it. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's hard to hard to know, and a lot of it's anecdotal with the um, issues people have with uh, foam insulation, yeah, and so that sort of thing. Foam insulation, spray foam insulation in particular, is a very hot button issue because, from a insulation perspective, it is one of the best products that you could imagine. Uh, right, it's if great. You, yeah, if you're going over two inches thick, you got a complete vapor barrier. Uh, it insulates extremely well. It can go in and you can make sure you get proper adhesion and everything uh, with no air gaps. So it's it's fantastic. But yes, there are some significant concerns, uh, most of which are mitigated by using a properly trained and qualified contractor and making sure that they have the mix and application process right, um, which again, it comes down to vetting that contractor who's doing it. Uh, most of the horror stories that you read regarding spray foam insulation jobs are related to they had the it's a two chemical mix uh, that gets mixed on site. And if that mix isn't exactly perfect, it can create significant issues where it never cures properly and it's off gassing all the time. Uh, spontaneous combustion is a real thing with it or just even on the less extreme issues, improper adhesion to the surfaces where Okay, now you've got it on and then it shrinks within the cavity and pulls away from the surfaces you applied to. Uh, so there's, mm -hmm. there is a variety of different things that can happen there. Uh, for mitigating your exposure to toxins and contaminants in general during, or during a uh, renovation, I would recommend, like you said, try to be out of the house during, especially during the renovation. And if you can give it a little bit of time afterwards, uh, Maybe go to Home Depot or one of the rental companies where you can rent a few air scrubbers and use those to help filter the air and help get the air moving. So now you're diluting the amount of those contaminants in the air. So yeah. you're, you're dropping it and you're making it a lot safer for you to re-enter the space. Yeah, there's a lot to consider that people don't want to consider, but it really does affect our health. So yeah, it, it absolutely well, can. And yeah, it's some stuff that needs to be taken seriously. And uh same thing, one, one last point on the radon issue. Anytime you do a significant renovation to the home, whether that be you do an addition, you change out windows, you change out even siding, 
that can actually have a significant impact on the radon levels within the home. Because mm. now you're changing how the home breathes and the amount of uh, suction that is on the home. So your home that you're moving out of, if you were to add a HVAC system, you should probably retest the radon levels afterwards because you're significantly changing the way that air moves True. through the home. Yeah, that's a good point. There's a lot There's a lot to building science that maybe people just don't think about, but we we should. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's a really interesting field and I love it because it is... It's constantly evolving. We're constantly learning more uh, and improving upon practices that we had in the past. Yeah. Well, excellent. I could talk about this for a really long time, but I've had you on long enough, I guess. <laughs> I'll let you get back to work. But I um, I just really, it's an important subject that I find a little scary, but I think people should just learn about it and just make their homes as healthy as they can. So yeah, well, if uh, anybody has any concerns, you can reach us moldmedics.com. We'll be happy to help out. If you're outside of our area, we'll be happy to talk to you and help work through your issues as well. Great. Well, thank you, Tim. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you to BQE, the makers of BQE Core, for their support of this podcast episode. Visit bqe.com masterclass to register for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass. Thank you for listening. And thank you so much for sharing this show with your friends. It is growing all the time. And I really appreciate that. I would love to hear from you if you have anything to say about this episode or past episodes, good or bad, or a suggestion for a new episode. Send me an email at thehousemaven at talkinghomerenovations.com. Talking Home Renovations with the House Maven is a proud member of Gable Media, the most engaged AEC network on the planet. Check out my other show and all the rest of the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. And until next time, take it easy.